Welcome to Very Amusing, your one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Wiesel, and I don't know if you can tell, but I lost my voice on Velocicoaster. Yes, a few hours after last week's episode dropped, my butt was in the seat of that ride, screaming for my life because I loved it so much, I went back on for a total of five times. I would have gone more, honestly, but I wasn't able to because the media event I was at ended, but I jammed in as many rides on that thing as possible. It is a beast. It is unbelievable. And I screamed so loud that I lost my voice for multiple days. And even now, I had to re-record this intro because I went, hello, and it's just empty up there. It's like reaching for a top shelf and just getting nothing. Like, I I just, my voice is completely shot, which just goes to show you, that's how much fun I had. That's how much fun I had. It has been a jam-packed week. I, I, can't, I can't believe that like, I'm back. I'm back in the parks. I went to Disney World. I went to Universal, obviously, as per last week's episode. I am now currently in New York. I went to DreamWorks Water Park. I, d- I did it all. I'm out. I'm doing stuff. I'm wearing my little mask. I'm having a lot of fun. And it's been absolutely fabulous. It's been a really, really good time. I had a wonderful trip to Universal Orlando Resort. I really, I mean, nothing beats Velocicoaster. That was the highlight of my trip. I have never been on a coaster like that. And I usually wouldn't hype something to this level that's, you know, like a, a, like a coaster coaster. Hagrid's, they, they bill it as a story coaster, which I get. Hagrid's is unbelievable. Again, I also wrote it after I went on Velocicoaster, and that coaster still stands up. I thought maybe after after the big boy of Velocicoaster, I'd be a little, I'd be like a little too too ahead of going on something like Hagrid's. But no, I screamed on that one too. It was great. Uh, but Velocicoaster is really something. It's really something. And now that I've gone on it so many times in a row, I was really able to pinpoint the cadence of the ride, the different scenes, everything that's in it. And everything that everyone said to me was 100% accurate before I went on it. You are going so fast, you can't really understand what's going on. But by your second or third ride, you really get to look at the different scenes, the different movements of the vehicle, the different launches. It is so dynamic. It's so good. I'm so happy we got Shelby on last week to talk about it. It's incredible. If you go to Florida, you have to ride this. I don't care if you're nervous. Just power through. I was very, very nervous. I'm not going to lie. I will be completely honest with you. My friend, Brooke Geiger McDonald, who we rode it together. We did the ride cam. We had to take an emergency bathroom break right before because we were so scared. We were like, we got to We got to go pee. We're so scared. We're so scared. We're so scared. And then we did it. And it was so much fun. We went right back on. So again, highly recommend, even if you're nervous, just like I was a ball of nerves, you got to go on Velocicoaster. Now, moving on to a different theme park and an entirely different country. This week, we are celebrating the, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is how time passes, the fifth anniversary of Shanghai Disneyland and the entire opening of Shanghai Disney Resort. I was there for day one. I was there for the media preview. I flew to China for it on a journalist visa, which is a whole thing we'll get into. And I got to see it firsthand. But I didn't want to just recap it for you all alone. So I invited two other reporters on to chit chat about what that experience was like. It was very, very intense, very different, very fun, very eye-opening, very bizarre, and very cool. Because 
in in my career, I haven't been able to cover an opening of an entire theme park resort. Keep in mind, it went from there is nothing here to Shanghai Disney Resort has arrived. So I'm talking new hotels, new downtown district, new park, new rides, new castle, new everything. And it was such a unique experience. And I'm so happy I get to relive it for you on this week's podcast. There's so much ahead. And I'm not going to keep you from this episode any longer. And also because my favorite meal, uh, I'm currently in New York City and my favorite meal is sitting right next to me, just got it out of the microwave, should have eaten it hot, but I wanted to do work first. Uh, it's my favorite, Jack's Way Freda, if you're ever in New York, best restaurant ever. Love it so much. Okay, let's just get to Shanghai. Let's get on with the show. Let's get on with the show. Today, we are celebrating the fifth anniversary of Shanghai Disneyland and what it was like to be there as a journalist the very first day it opened. To catch you up to speed about Disney's sixth and newest theme park resort, Shanghai Disney itself is a joint partnership between Shanghai Shindy Group and the Walt Disney Company. But if you've ever read Bob Iger's book or just know more about him than most people, you'll know that he spent years, years and years and years trying to get this resort off the ground. And so far, it's been a pretty wild success. The park itself is comprised of two hotels, Shanghai Disneyland Hotel and Toy Story Hotel, Wishing Star Park and Disneytown, both open to the public, and Shanghai Disneyland, the singular park. There was this tagline drilled into my brain forever of it being authentically Disney and distinctly Chinese, which... Yeah, it it kind of is. In lieu of Main Street USA, they have Mickey Avenue honoring the Fab Five and the various retail and dining locations. And instead of a standard hub, there are vast gardens throughout the front of the, who boy, utterly massive Enchanted Storybook Castle, which honors all princesses in a kind of like sorority house style home. No idea where their husbands are, where are their families? No clue. It's best to not think too much about it and just bask in the glow of it being so very big. There are six lands at Shanghai Disneyland in total. Adventure Isle, a kind of riff on Adventureland, Treasure Cove, a Pirates-inspired land, Toy Story Land, Fantasyland, Tomorrowland, and Gardens of Imagination out in front of that castle. They have some instantly new and classic Disney rides, including, yes, the Tron-themed light cycle power run coaster we're getting a version of in Disney World soon, as well as their version of Pirates of the Caribbean, Battle for Sunken Treasure. It's an inventive, immersive, tech-savvy version of the classic we have back home, which you may have seen some of in the Imagineering Story documentary, or even on YouTube, which, as you'll hear later in this episode, doesn't quite do this ride justice, according to one of our expert guests. I've now been to the park twice, and I enjoyed returning to Shanghai Disney Resort not just because it's a foreign park where everything from Peking duck-topped pizza to an entire store dedicated to Duffy and Friends ah, hits all my marks, but because everything here is new. It's new. New attractions are new. Old attractions are new. Even their take on Peter Pan, one of the ultimate classics in my book, is still Peter Pan as we know it, but designed rather recently, giving it a technological edge and a different perspective than the versions we're used to back home. I've been to all the Disney parks around the world and many media events in my day, but this, the actual grand opening of this resort when it debuted June 16th, 2016, was something else. That's why to do this park's fifth anniversary justice, I had to bring on Arthur Levine. Hey there. And Keith Sharon. Hey, there you guys are. Reporters I first met while in Shanghai, spent most of my time with while I was there, and have stayed in close touch with over the years. Arthur was there for USA Today and Trip Savvy and a few others, I believe, while Keith was there for Orange County Register. 
And me? I was there for an inordinate amount of outlets. I reported for Refinery29, Tremont Leisure, BuzzFeed, Pop Sugar. I think it was eight or nine in total, and I still don't remember them all because it was that big of a whirlwind and a newsworthy event. We're going to give you a very realistic look at what it was like to be plopped into Shanghai, having never been, knowing little to nothing about this park, and how we navigated our way through the media preview and grand opening. You see, these days when something opens, a land like Avengers Campus or a ride like Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, if you follow enough theme park accounts, it tends to kind of permeate your social media feeds. With Shanghai Disneyland's opening, the media group coming over from America was slim to none. We reference a dinner in this episode that the three of us met at with Disney employees who were already in Shanghai to assist with opening festivities. And we were, I think, the only three reporters at that dinner. All in all, there were maybe... 10 American reporters, maybe even less. It was a very small, bizarre situation. For context, Shanghai Disney Resort is located in Pudong, about a half hour from the center of the city by car, or an indeterminate amount of time by train, because I completely forgot how when you visit Shanghai, due to China's firewall, you need to use a slew of different apps for transit instructions, maps, directions, etc., unless you use a VPN to bypass it for access to things like Google Maps. So even just from that example, you can infer that there was a lot myself, Arthur, and Keith did not know when we rolled up to Shanghai five years ago and just kind of learned on the fly. I do need to stress to you with some of the stories you're about to hear that we weren't just visiting Shanghai to see the city in sights as tourists. We were here for work to experience Disney, one of the most Americanized commodities, and their newest footprint in Shanghai soil. We may sound a little like country bumpkins or just fools with our wild taxi stories and Disney bathroom revelations, more on that later, but my nervous, anxious, empathetic, and slightly paranoid self just wants to emphasize up top that none of this is meant to be insensitive by any means at all. Any surprise on our end with things being different there truly stems as a pure reflection of us being extreme fish out of water here on a wacky work assignment tasked with viewing things in a heightened state of comparison and contrast between visiting these parks here and in America. Please know, I just want to get it across, that we do not mean any ill will by reminiscing about how different our visit was compared to Disneyland and Disney World and the experiences we're used to back home. I'll add, I am not by any means a Shanghai expert and do not pretend to be, but I've now been twice, once in June 2016 and once in December 2019, and the city has really changed a lot even in those few years. I stayed in Shanghai on both visits, and the way I visited on my first trip and on my second trip were very different. But still, even with things like the outdoor night market I toured on that first trip, now long gone, I Love it there. Shanghai is fabulous, interesting, historic, and unique all at the same time. And I've had some of the best food and experiences of my life while visiting. Before I start yelling at you about where to get the best Xiaolongbao in Shanghai, Jiajiatangbao, by the way, unreal, I'll just get to my interview with Keith and Arthur about Shanghai Disney Resort itself. And by the way, this episode is honest. So buckle up for a wild ride, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> With that, happy fifth birthday, Shanghai Disneyland. Now, let's reminisce about the day you were born. What were each of your reactions when you found out you were going, when you knew you'd be going overseas for business to do something so big? Uh, Arthur, what was that? What was that news like to you? Well, I can tell you sort of a funny little story. It, it was it was a coincidence, but I happened to be taking my dog for a walk um, 
near the elementary school that I went to in a town a couple of towns over from where I live now. Um, and I don't know why I did it. I can't remember. I just had this urge to kind of go back to my roots. And, and I didn't go into the school or anything. I just sort of walked, you know, outside around it. And as I was in the neighborhood of the school, I got this call on my, on my cell phone and, and got the invitation. And I was just kind of flabbergasted. I, I thought it was uh, pretty amazing. And, um, and, and, and it, it kind of, at, in the moment, I, I was thinking, you know, boy, if, if I could go back uh, in time and, and, and be this little kid going to my elementary school thinking someday, you know, Disney's going to invite me out to their park in China. Uh, you know, how, how cool would that be? Um, so it was, it was just an amazing thing for me to find out that, uh, that I was going to, going to get to go. It's certainly the farthest I've ever been from home. Uh, it's the, the most adventurous thing I've ever done in terms of travel. So it was, it was pretty wild. It's amazing to me that we all remember where we were when we got the notice that we were going to go. For me, it was the same week that the Orange County Register, where I worked at the time, had been sold. And we had new ownership coming in. And the reporters were all afraid that the new people were going to fire all the people who were there, you know, and established journalists. So I'm sitting there one day and the new boss is walking around and I don't know this guy. And he comes straight to my desk and taps me on the shoulder. And I think, oh, I'm finished. <laughs> he's, he's calling me in to fire me calls me into the office. He says, hey, we'd like you to uh, go to China. And I go, did we open a bureau there? <laughs> He's like, no, uh, Disney's doing a new theme park. And I said, thank you very much. Yes, I'm there. So that's uh, my origin story. Oh, my God. I, I, don't, I don't even know if I remember. I just oh, what? I know. The only thing I, I the only thing I remember is that they were sending me the physical invite and I know that I was like very very nervous about it because it got lost in the mail and then it was redirected to a UPS and then the UPS didn't have it and I was like this mail's never going to arrive. I'm never going to go. I just like truly didn't believe it was happening until I was physically there and like had you don't need like a slip of paper to get in except for a visa no. which you kind of do. But I like was so worried about this little box in the mail, but it finally arrived. <laughs> well, and we had to, we had, I had to drive to uh, downtown LA to get a visa. And um, it was a, it was a hard process. If I remember correctly, I, it might've even taken me two trips uh, to get it. And then finally I got approval. And then, then there was that 14 hour flight. And Arthur, how long was your flight? I went to Detroit and uh, it's, that sounds about right. It was, yeah. 14, 16 hours, maybe. I think 16 is the number that sticks in my in my head. That is a long flight. Oh, my gosh. It was incredibly long. Yes. Yeah. It's so long that because of the timing of it, I missed my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, your birthday was on? 
Wait, what's your birthday? My birthday is June 11th. And I right. left. It's like I left June 10th, but then I arrived June 11th at midnight. Like I basically got back and was like, cool, that never happened. I guess I'm a year <laughs> younger, maybe. And just like sat in a hotel room alone. Truly very thrilled to be there. It's 15 hours ahead is what we reported. Keith's posts from Shanghai will be 15 hours ahead of where we are now. That's what we wrote in the paper when I left. Wow. Yeah, it stole my birthday from me, but it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fine. Yeah, I remember the visa process being super tricky just because I assume you had the same where you were also a J2 visa. So you were on your visa, you were going there to report news, right. which right. when you're, you know, applying for like international visa stuff is a little intense. But yeah. uh, I actually I went back to China December 2019. And I remember being so nervous that they wouldn't approve me because I had this journalist visa that was done through Disney. But I was going back on my own and I was convinced they weren't going to let me into Shanghai. But then thankfully they did. But I had to like there was a moment because I went back to that downtown L.A. bureau and I had to have a conversation with multiple people because I think they thought I was a news reporter like sneaking into China. Oh, yeah. You don't want to be that. No, 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 no. No. Well, in the Boston area, we do not have an office that will issue a, a visa like that. I had to get mine out of New York. And luckily, my brother um, works in the travel industry and knew somebody in the Chinese consulate in New York. And so he kind of helped usher me through the process. I I was originally thinking I was going to have to hop on a train or a plane and go to New York and physically do this and wait a li wait in line for hours on end or I don't know how long it took for you to to, to actually get this. Um, but I was I was able to do everything remotely because of this contact that that my brother had, which was great. Oh, that's awesome. I so I personally have never covered a brand new park before. I believe both of you probably have a new Disney park. Oh, this was like nothing. This was this may be the you know most fun and frustrating and farthest and it, it, there's a lot of F's involved in this coverage. I I think for me, I, I'll never I will never forget it. Oh, I, I'll never forget it either. It was it was mind boggling. Wow. Okay. So what was it like when you arrived? Because I arrived separately. I only I'm. I met you both at a very loopy, like jet lag induced dinner with Disney employees that I have the vaguest memory of. Was that at a German restaurant? Yeah. Yeah. It was at some Jean Georges restaurant in the Boond. Yes. Yeah. Right. And I, I mean, my brain does not recall any part of it, but I looked back at the email list and was like, five years ago, we were all together at a dinner before we were even friends. <laughs> right. So I got invited to that dinner and uh, and we were staying at the Holiday Inn. So we went, I think I went on the 9th or the 10th. I, there was a little bit of time ahead of the opening. And um, uh, we didn't know how far it was to the uh, to that dinner. And we got in a taxi. And it was the scariest taxi ride I could ever imagine. I'm so glad you said that, Keith, because I have an equally scary taxi ride story. Okay, to tell. Uh, go ahead. Let's, let's put our taxi stories up against each other. Listen okay. to this. Okay. So 
We get in the taxi. Uh, I'm traveling with photographer Jeff Gritchen, a good friend of mine, great guy. He's got an app on his phone that tells us, okay, it's, uh, you know, eight miles to the restaurant, right? So we're showing the driver that it's eight miles. And I notice as I sit in the front seat that there's no seatbelt. No seatbelts. Seat the seat, they yeah. took the seatbelts out of the taxi. Right. Yes. And we, so we start asking, <laughs> where's the seatbelt? And he's like, no, 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 no. You, you don't need a seatbelt. I'm a professional. Oh. We're like, oh, okay. If I ever All needed right, a seatbelt, this was yeah, this it. This is going to be interesting. So we are driving like crazy, the scariest ride, I swear to God, on the sidewalk, um, around motorcycles, bicycles. We're dodging people, right? It gets so bad at one point that the cops pull us over. <laughs> we get pulled over by the police on the way to the restaurant. By the way which is is taking like an hour to get eight miles or however long it was. It, he was not following the, the app at all. We were telling him, it seems like you probably should have turned to the right back there. And he's going, no, no, I know where this is. Okay, great. Then he gets pulled over by the cops and he's not going to go down without a fight. He gets out of the car and is arguing with the police. There's a full on argument with the cops and jeff and i look at each other like we got to get out of here we need to flee the, something's wrong uh there's going to be an international incident here <laughs> so we go up and slip the guy some money like here you go buddy and we walk the rest of the way and it's a mile or two i don't remember and we just walk to the restaurant i have the a very similar story. We did not get pulled over by the police, although we probably should have. I also got in the back seat of the car, immediately looked for the seatbelts and was stunned to find that where the seatbelt should have been, they had been removed. And yeah. I didn't say anything. But then this, this cab driver, this was at night. This was long after rush hour. There were no cars on, virtually no cars on the road. But this guy was driving like, you know, we were in the middle of New York City at rush hour. And he would tailgate everybody and come within inches of, uh, this is on the highway, come within inches of the, of the cars in front of us. And I was literally hanging on for dear life to like, you know, the, the window <laughs> to, to, the, to the door. And, and, and I was in the back seat. I was kind of being thrown from side to side as he's taking turns. It was so harrowing. Yes. I remember arriving at the restaurant and thinking, I'm, I'm not a particularly big drinker, but I needed like the stiffest <laughs> scotch the, the, in the world at that point. And um, I was, I, it was like, you know, welcome to China. Oh my God. It was just crazy, crazy. I had no idea both of you were so deeply traumatized on the way to that meal. How did you get there, Carly? I, I took an Uber. It was, it was fine. <laughs> <laughs> what? You missed out. <laughs> I was staying in Shanghai that at that point because I moved to the resort, I think, after two or three nights. So I was 10 minutes away. I wasn't like traveling in from Pudong and then going. Right, right. Well, I, I actually arrived, I think, before all of you at the resort. Um, I can't remember why. There was some reason why they wanted me there like two days before everybody else. I think they were trying to set up an interview 
with somebody or they wanted me to tour something. I can't remember what, what it was. Whatever it was, it never happened. I, I nonetheless arrived a couple of days before everybody else. And it was the weirdest thing because um, I think we were all staying at the Toy Story Hotel, right? Yes. And the, the first, it was either the first or possibly the first two nights I was there, it was virtually deserted. I, I believe I was maybe one of three or four guests in the in the entire ho hotel, which was just crazy. I remember going down to breakfast in the morning, and there'd be like like twenty five cast members in the hallway with the big Mickey hands waving at me, and I was the only one. I went into the dining room, and I'm sitting in this cavernous dining room, and and they had this wonderful buffet set up, and and I'm with you know all kinds of food enough to feed you know, dozens, if not hundreds of people. And I'm the only one there, the only one eating, the only one being doted on by, by everybody. People kept coming over wanting to know if I needed, you know, chopsticks or silverware. And, and it's just me. It was crazy. So you must have been staying there before it was even officially open for all the press. I believe so. Yes. Yes. Oh, my God. That's so you just like flew to China for business, show up at a hotel and you're the only person there in like a foreign country in a new foreign hotel? Yes, <laughs> that's exactly what I'm telling you. <laughs> I think what like isn't easily conveyed to people who weren't there is that when you would arrive at Toy Story Hotel, which is where we stayed and you'd enter, there was a a line of people like you were going to play an all-star basketball game. Like, remember you would walk through that hallway of people and they would basically like cheer you on for coming to the hotel. Yes. Yes. <laughs> and it's, right I off mean, the it, bus. Off right the off. Bus. Yes. Yes. And it, it like, it's so, I mean, it, it's in a way it's good because it proves that their training is so successful that they were able to get this many people to be so on brand for Disney. But then when you, you know, you're used to an American park and you show up and everyone is just hitting the mark 10 out of 10 for enthusiasm. You're like, oh, my God, what is right. happening? You say hi once or twice. You wave. And then from then on, the other 400 times it gets a little much. Yes. I, I still I like I can't figure out how to explain it to people who are used to Florida, but I guess it would be and I'd like to know if you both agree. It would be like a greeter at, you know, Animal, Animal Kingdom Lodge saying hello, except that there are 50 of that person. So you will encounter that person 50 times on your way to the desk. Yes. On your way to the desk. Yeah. Yes. Right. So imagine that kind of that level of uh, of attention but you're the only one staying at the hotel. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Carly, I've got another story about the dinner, and this will set up maybe the end of this podcast. Um, because when we sat down, the Disney executives or, or public relations people or media relations, I forget who it was, came to my table with a serious question. And they said, what is a home run for you? What do you need from this trip that we can help you with? And I didn't hesitate. I said, oh, the only thing that I need is on the first day, when the first person walks into the park, I need to get a picture and interview that person. And they immediately said, that cannot happen. And I knew from that point on, uh-oh, 
this may be a problem. So I'll just leave it there. I was not reporting on that type of like news stuff when I was there. I wasn't I wasn't interviewing people who were arriving. I wasn't at the front trying to get a photo like you were. But I remember even all the way on the other side of the park, knowing that it was intense at the gate to get that type of content. And I wanted no part in it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It was intense. And it was like in the news business, there was one story. I wrote 18 stories in eight days, but there was only really one. And that was who was the first guest. Like you can remember, uh, Arthur mentioned it, you know, in 1955, uh, you've seen the pictures of the first kids. You have to get those. Who are those kids? And I just had to. And, and I, what I learned was my smiling Disney friends were not going to facilitate me getting that story. And so it became a bit of a battle. I remember talking to Jeff and saying, you should get up in the clock tower. And because there's there's a, a clock tower that's right above the front gate. And I was thinking Correct. if there's some way to get up there, that would be the money shot of the first guest coming into the park. And um, I, I remember him, I, I, I believe I remember him saying, yeah, I, I should look into that. I, I don't think it worked. You, you can- It did not. Okay. <laughs> But that would have been great if he did. Yes. Oh, my God. I just remember after that dinner, because it might have been, Keith, it might have been you and Jeff that you were going to do a walk through the park to plan your photos, I believe it was. I remember that they allowed me to come with also, which I I had a full plan the next day and was like, I'll be there. And just like roll, like found, because I wasn't staying on property. So I like figured out the trains and then showed up the next day to just kind of piggyback on, I believe it was like a two or three hour walkthrough. Yes, it was. Because one of the, after I said I need to get that shot of the first person, I said, I also want to be able to compare Disneyland in California that everyone knows to Disney. Shanghai and the expanse of the place was the big selling point where Disneyland is one mile in a circle. This is five miles in a circle. And, and so they said, Oh, we can help you with that. We'll get you into the park early and we'll go around. And so they were, they were happy to show us how big and better They liked that idea for the story. So that's how we got in early. Arthur, were you there with us? No, no, I wasn't there. I did get in before the official media event. So I got a preview of sorts. Gotcha. I think I was I was reporting something like seven or eight or nine stories at the time, which for me was a lot compared to Keith is nothing. But <laughs> I some of them were photo based. So I think that's why I got looped in so that I could take all of the empty park photos to have them banked. But it I mean, I'm sure both of you felt this way. Also, I couldn't believe how big it was when I was first there. And to see it before there's a crowd in there, just to see it completely empty just shows how massive it is. Yeah. And knowing that in the future, it would never, ever be like this ever again. That's right. And we are standing like on a ground that will never be the same. And so that that's that's what I loved about it. 
And not just um, the fact that the entire park is larger than Disneyland, um, but I mean everything—the the, the boulevards, the the midways, the you know the the, the roads—are just so wide they can accommodate just enormous amounts of people. That Mickey yeah. Ave is probably—I'm I'm guessing three times as wide as Main Street USA. Oh, easily. Right. And also along those lines, the distance between the lands with the giant gardens, it just had like this spread out kind of feel like you could see stuff off in the distance that in Disneyland would have been right on top of you. Right. You can't even tell that you've walked into the new area of Disneyland sometimes. I think we're like at the opening, right? No, 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 no. You are leaving out. Oh, I cannot believe. Oh, night. I I consider it part of the opening festivities. (laughs) Our dinner with George. Our dinner with George Lucas. No, that was that that was when the park was was open. That was a preview. I'm sorry. I'm talking about the grand opening press event, like the beginning of the press event, which I will start with. We covered Toy Story Hotel, but um, the opening night where we got to walk around Disney Town. Okay, yeah, yeah. Which was, to me, I mean, was a, a one-woman food festival because you could just go wherever you <laughs> wanted and eat everything. It was a dream. It was a dream. And so well put together, like all of the restaurants and the little trinkets, they thought of everything, any kind of like memorabilia you could possibly want. And I ran into the uh, Lopez brothers who are in the NBA, you know, two seven-foot guys in a... A, a memorabilia store all by themselves and i just walked up and they were very nice and talked to me i got an interview that was one of my stories i thought yeah i love that that was my first george lucas sighting was was that night i remember um i was like i did sort of a triple take like oh look who's here <laughs> what was he doing he was just uh i think he was hanging around outside of the theater uh, mm. the, lion, the lion king theater where we saw lion king in Mandarin. In Mandarin, yeah. Yes. That was that was an experience. Opening yeah. night of The Lion King in Mandarin. And my main memories of it are, one, sitting down. So I'm at a low vantage point, turning around and seeing the tallest people I've ever seen in my life, which were the, the Lopez, Lopez twins. And yeah. I, I don't know sports. I now know who they are through Disney lore and because they're big collectors. But at the time, I looked up and was like, who just completely (laughs) baffled to be in this foreign country at some Mandarin language Broadway production and to see a true giant behind me. Uh, And the other main memory I have is (laughs) it's of Arthur at intermission going, I'm going to call it. (laughs) Well, I I was operating with some serious jet lag, so... I just Me uh, it was too. It was yes. tough. Yeah, I get it. I mean, I truly watched something that I retained no knowledge of <laughs> for another <laughs> ninety minutes, but I, I I couldn't I couldn't leave. I'd never seen it before. They were all, you know, it's like the Broadway style one where like they, they walk like animals. I thought it was cool. I do remember it was a lovely theater. Yeah, it was nice. God, yeah, that's that's one of the takeaways I have from it is that it's. So nice to be in brand new spaces. Everything was brand new. It was so shiny. It was so clean. It was so nice. Right. And the food was so good. Like, I remember the dinner before they brought, before uh, Lion King was great. They had a great pre-party. It was, yeah, spectacular. Oh, the best. Okay, I think we got to get into the 
actual press event day, which my memories of are kind of blurry. I just remember getting a time limit at each land or at sections of rides, and we had to run from land to land to land to land to try to cram it all in. Is that what your experiences were like that day? Uh, Arthur, were you like just running between rides? I don't remember that, but I had the advantage of having been there the day before and pretty much hitting all the the highlights. So it wasn't I didn't I didn't feel this urgency to try to cram everything in. So that that perhaps is why I don't remember that. Well, I have a very specific memory because when they told me you have to be at certain at a certain land at a certain time to to witness a certain thing, I could not allow myself to do that. So <laughs> I wanted to, I heard that Tron was the best ride in the park and I was determined to ride it first. So I ducked under the tape and went to, what land is that? Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland. Tomorrowland, correct. Tomorrowland. I went to Tomorrowland with no one else. Remember, it was a rainy night and you all had gone to, you know, the other side of the park and I broke away from the group and I walked up to the people who were practicing for crowds and they were doing their training. And I said, um, hey, it's, it's my lifelong dream to be the first one to ever ride Tron. Can I do it? And they go, no, sir, <laughs> you cannot. And I said, well, they're good. They're going to allow people to do it at 8 o'clock anyway. It's 7.15. Um, you're practicing. It's running. Why not just let me go? And they go, no, I'm sorry. You cannot do that. So I sat there in the rain waiting for you guys to show up. So ahead of you, I could see, you know, there's the press group. They're back there. They're walking toward us. But there's a group in front of them that includes Bob Iger. If you remember, he was, I think the, the goal was to let Bob Iger get on the first bunch of, car, bunch of motorcycles that <laughs> take the Tron ride. All right. So I see Iger coming and I go up to the person who is uh, running the Tron ride and I go, see, they're here. So how about now? And he goes, Okay, go ahead. So I get on Tron and Iger is behind me. And so I'm the lead motorcycle in the Tron ride ahead of Bob Iger. And I accomplished my goal and I rode it first. Keith kind of stole my thunder. I do remember being in line forever waiting to get on Tron. And all of a sudden, I, I think there are two lines. It's probably like um, the fast pass line and the and the regular line. We were in the regular line, and all of a sudden, the other line started moving, and I just kind of got in the line and started moving with the crowd, um, not realizing that I was with that sort of that VIP group. Nobody told me not to do it. Uh, I wasn't intentionally trying to, to to do anything, but all of a sudden, I ended up in the queue in the pre-show with Bob Iger and Marty Sklar and other Disney executives. And Bob is very patiently explaining to Marty all the technology that they've incorporated into this, this, this pre-show experience. And 
<laughs> it was sort of a strange, a strange, um, a, a strange moment for me, for sure. Um, and so I, I too got to ride on that first train with Bob Iger. I, I was with you, Keith. Just yeah, d- didn't know you were there. But yeah. yeah, I was, I was, I was the schlub in the front. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, here's what's very funny about this is that I didn't realize. Ex- I'm probably new and forgot, but I didn't realize that this was happening because. I was just behind you because my memory is that I was one car away from being with Bob Iger. And I was so close. Like, I think what happened is that I was in I was in a a row that would have loaded. But for some reason, like the seats weren't available. So we got passed and put on the next one. So I almost got on this train car with you. And I because I was a single rider. I was placed with someone else, someone else who was random. And we both commiserated over how like, oh, no, like we almost got on the Bob Iger train and we ended up like hanging out and talking. And now we are actual friends. And I saw her when I went back to Shanghai. Wow. So it's like I didn't get I didn't get on the same train car as you, but I made possibly a lifelong friend. Which is more important. I have another Bob Iger story to tell, actually. Disney did arrange uh, for me to interview Bob for USA Today, um, which I, I got to do. And, and that was also a thrill. Um, and I do remember asking him if he considered Shanghai Disneyland to be one of the highlights of his Disney career. And, and I do remember him clearly saying, yes, it, it certainly was. Um, and, and I think you guys probably picked up on this too. This was very important to him. I think he saw this as um, <clears throat> kind of his baby and he, he sort of ushered it along. Uh, I believe he was involved even prior to becoming CEO. He was you know, involved real early on in, in uh, making the land deals and, and working with the government. So this was you know, a very, very important project to him. Yeah, absolutely. And I think for me personally, that's why, you know, usually like seeing him at a park event or something like that is cool, but it's not it doesn't resonate as deeply. But to see him, you know, ride Tron for the first time at the press opening the day before the public opening in his house, like this house that he built from the ground up and made sure happened like that's so special to me above all because it's it's I can't imagine the amount of work it took to pull that project off and to see it finally come to fruition must have been very exciting or to have him look at your butt while you're on a bike. <laughs> <laughs> Anyone who's uttered the words Genie Plus knows firsthand that vacations require time, money, planning, energy. And if you put all that effort into enjoying your trip already, why not extend the highlights of that getaway into your everyday with FrameBridge? Put that vintage Epcot ticket up in your office and give it a little personality. Surprise your kid with their favorite character's autograph immortalized on the wall of their room. FrameBridge makes it so easy and affordable to custom frame any photo, park map, or even cocktail napkin from a theme park hotel bar in just minutes. You can mock up exactly what it'll look like on their website before you even spend a dime. Things ship fast and they ship for free, and their colorful custom framing means they'll not only help you plan your gallery wall, but make sure your place looks cooler than the interiors of that mid-century modern home within Spaceship Earth. I love the mementos I framed with FrameBridge so much that I rearranged my entire office so I can enjoy them daily. This is not a bit. This is this is true life. They're the backdrop to my podcast Zoom interviews, my Instagram stories, 
And even the goofy photos we take of Pearl tip-tapping away at my keyboard like she's a miniature employee. Too often, our favorite memories of a vacation are tucked inside our phone or shoved within a drawer. And it thrills me to no end that because of Framebridge, I can finally be surrounded by my memories. Framebridge makes custom framing easy, affordable, and enjoyable. And on top of that, their happiness guarantee ensures that no matter what, you'll wind up with something you love. To get started, head to framebridge.com, because your precious travel memories shouldn't have to stay in the past. That's framebridge.com. Anyway, we need to talk about the dinner. <laughs> the dinner where we were basically in, like, like adjacent to fame. We were so close. We were a little higher up. Oh, I say at the same table. We were at the same table. Now, there was a wall between <laughs> us and George Lucas and Julie Taymor, uh, but you couldn't tell from the photos. <laughs> you took photos, didn't you? Yes, we did. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. On the sly, of course. On the sly, yeah. yeah. The, uh, no, there was no photography allowed, but of course I did. Now, th this was, I, I believe this was in the restaurant that overlooks the Pirates ride. Is, is that right? Yes. Barbosa's yes. Bounty. And it was, um, I don't want to make a sound so elite because it was kind of a grab some food, quick service style right. and grab a table. But we That's were there right. first and he chose to sit near our crew. He did because we were cool. Yeah, he was in a VIP area that was next to us that we were locked out of, but still he chose to sit somewhat near us. I have two main memories from that dinner because I did not sneak any photos, let the record show. But the one main memory I have is sitting with Arthur. And I, I think this is where this happened, where we kind of like hashed it out over the pirates ride. It might have been the next day. But I remember saying that like while the pirates ride it was it was incredible and it was like a, a it was a technological feat it was not the ride i walked away from that day thinking about and at that time we had not yet been on tron but i had such a good time on the rapids ride that i did not anticipate like everything in adventure isle <laughs> area i had so much fun on and the like the look of disgust you gave me <laughs> when i told you i had more fun on something than the pirates attraction at shanghai disney was it will stay with me for the rest of my life <laughs> oh well i'm sorry carly i i didn't mean to traumatize you but um i stand by my statement and to this day i still believe that pirates in shanghai is the best attraction i've ever been on and that includes rise I, I, it rises way up there, but, but Pirates Wait. just still blew me away. And it includes Tron? Yes. Yes. Wow. Yeah. All right. Well, I'm a party of one here. You had the Rapids. I had Tron and he had Pirates. Yeah. But I will say like the Rapids ride isn't my all-time favorite from that park. I think I... I think Tron takes the cake for me slightly over Pirates. Just in terms of like personal preference, I do love the adventure ropes course <laughs> that's my favorite attraction at shanghai disneyland because every time i go on it i'm like how did legal clear this because right. you're just strapped into a rope climbing on the side of a waterfall i watched a youtube video of it a few weeks ago where a woman is 
profusely crying because she's so scared. <laughs> like, it just doesn't make sense to me. But the Rapids ride, I had this very, this like memory that sticks with me where I went on, uh, I believe it's called Roaring Rapids is what it's called. I went on this raft ride with 10 strangers who don't speak the same language as me. And then I was with another American. And I, it was just such a moment where we all shared in a collective joy, despite the fact that we live on opposite sides of the world and, and really have no way to communicate. But we all had that same amount of fun. And I thought that was just such a, a poignant Disney moment. Granted, not, it, it, not, not as important as the, the technological advances of the pirates ride, but still felt like a really nice, a really nice moment. But I deserved that. Don't get me wrong. I agree with Arthur. Pirates is spectacular. When the boat spins around, when it feels like you're in a movie, like how did they make you feel like you're part of the story like that? It it was, it was great, but I thought Tron was even greater. Well, cer- certainly they're both incredible achievements. Um, yeah. b- before we get too far away from George Lucas, I have one more little thing I want to throw in. This is unrelated, but years ago I was invited to one of the um, launches of one of the Disney cruise ships. And as I was getting off the ship uh, at Port Canaveral and going down the big escalator down to ground level, um, coming up on the up escalator, was George Lucas, and we passed each other on the escalators. And again, I did a triple take. I was like, wait a minute, what, what's going on here? Apparently, they were having some sort of VIP cruise after the media event, and, and there was George Lucas going to, going to get on the cruise ship. Did you think about that as a metaphor for life, that you were going down <laughs> and he was going up, and it will always be that way? That's right. Always. Yeah, ships yeah. passing in the night. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> Oh, I, I mean, I'm equally floored that there is a like there was a celebrity studded VIP cruise at one point, And also that the places you've seen him are at a cruise terminal and at a barbecue restaurant inside a <laughs> Shanghai theme park. <laughs> yeah, yeah. U- unique settings for sure. Wow. Oh, my God. The memories. All right, that's the end of my George Lucas anecdotes. Let's let's continue. <laughs> Is there anything else from the press opening that you remember, or uh, do you think we should move to the events of opening day? Well, I, I just wanted to say one thing, Carly. I'm I'm sure you can relate to this. I'm not sure if if you can, uh, Keith. But having been often to both Disneyland and Disney World, the Magic Kingdom, when I go to one or the other, there's this moment where I'll be walking down Main Street and I'll, I'll sort of have this, um, you know, disassociation where things look sort of familiar, but they're like slightly off. Um, you know, the scale of the Magic Kingdom is much bigger than Disneyland. For example, the castle at the end of the street, of course, is very different. Um, but in general, everything is is sort of familiar and similar and, and you can orient yourself. And there's, there's a, a, a certain... Um, familiarity to both of them. I've also been to um, Disneyland Paris, and I've been to to the park there. And although that's quite different, there still are, you know, some very familiar touchstones, and, and you can kind of orient yourself. And without having to look at a map, you can, you know, get from whatever their main street is to Adventureland or whatever. But I have to say that Shanghai Disneyland, it was just so disorienting. Um, you know, if, if you didn't, if, if you drugged some Disney 
uh, fan and, and, and they didn't realize that they were on a plane for 16 hours and you, uh, drop them off at the, at the, uh, on, uh, Mickey Ave, they'd have a hard time finding their way around. Um, right. you know, mo most of the people who listen to this podcast, Carly, I'm, I'm sure are, are really smart, uh, Disney folks. And, and I'm, I'm probably not telling them something they don't already know, but at, at Shanghai Disneyland, Tomorrowland is to the left of the castle. Um, the, the mountain range is gone. There's no Splash Mountain. There's no Space Mountain. There's no Big Thunder Mountain. There is uh, the Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, and there is the water ride that you know the, the, that you went on. Um, but it's just so disorienting and so strange. It you know there there are some echoes of Disneyland, but they're they're few and far between, and um, and few enough that you really feel like this is a completely different take on the classic Disney park. And are we going to talk about the bathrooms? <laughs> oh my goodness. Talk about things being different. Good Lord. What about the bathrooms, Keith? Well, I only heard, you know, because I just heard you and other people talking about the design of the women's bathroom, particularly. Do you, do you remember any differences? Um, I recall I had to open many a stall door before I found one that was not a squatting toilet. Right. Squatting is the key verb. Yes. Which I understand that Americans are wrong when it comes to this. Like, apparently that is much healthier and better for you. But we like to sit and me as a, you know, as a born and raised Midwesterner, I'm going to sit any chance I can get. Like, I'm not I'm not going to get into a fitness position to try to go to the bathroom. So I I thankfully like there were both kinds. So I was fine. But I've been places before previously in Asia that only had the uh, I don't know how to elegantly say hole in the ground style <laughs> toilet. And I just, I, I, I have no training for that. And I panicked. Well, I have a confession to make. Um, I had never been to Asia before. I had never encountered that. I knew that that was what was there. But um, one day I, you know, had to go to the, do my thing. And I don't think that in the men's room, Keith, maybe you can back me up. I don't think there was any choice. You, you either squat, squatted or you, or you didn't. And I, I have to say, I gave it my best shot and I just couldn't, uh, I couldn't complete, <laughs> complete the job. I took the bus and I went back to the Toy Story Hotel to my hotel room to do what I had to do. And then I went back to the park. <laughs> Now this is some content right here. <laughs> this is this is podcast gold. You're going to be uh, getting a lot of downloads. Oh, I'll never it's live so this down. It's so funny because like you you've spent so much time at theme parks, so much time. You've covered them for decades, and yes. it's like you go to this new one. Like you come in with so much expertise and then you're like oh no like truly a basic human function i can't i can't do here it was Couldn't seal the deal couldn't do it no <laughs> so many things were so different well there's the lead that's the lead of this uh podcast oh no couldn't seal the deal um <laughs> to to go back to what you were saying uh pre-poop discussions uh for me to to comment on what you said about Disneyland and the comparison and contrast for me the most surprising thing was how big the castle was and that you could see it from everywhere yeah. i just have continued to refer to it as the all 
all-seeing castle because it I but I never thought about how that's actually probably necessary for wayfinding through this park. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. My opening day was rather uneventful. I just wore that nice little hat they gave me, those little gold and blue Mickey ears, and stood in the media pen because I had finished most of my stuff. But I know that Keith had a different day. Uh, Arthur, was your day like normal? Were you covering a lot of news from the ground that day? What did it go like? No, I like you, I was not um, trying to meet any deadlines or, or really... Uh, look at this as a, as a breaking news story. Um, most of my pieces were more, uh, you know, long form pieces that, that I submitted later. Um, I was um, at the front of the park as, as the first guests were coming in and I got a big kick out of that. Um, I do remember going to the, um, to the shop where they embroider the hats, you know, the, the, the mouse ears. And I remember, um, getting the name of the gentleman from the New York Chinese consulate, getting his, his Chinese name and, and giving it to the, uh, to the person. So they would stitch on the, the Chinese letters. That was one of the big highlights of, of the day. And I was able to give that hat to him later, uh, which he, which he very much appreciated. I think. Um, what a great guy you are. I know. Yeah. No, that was pretty nice. Um, but, but I, I just got, got a kick out of walking around the park and seeing, um, you know, seeing, local people enjoying it and um um that that to me was 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 kind of a thrill you know um we, we've all heard about the emerging middle class in china and 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 there's been this explosion of theme parks and other attractions and it was just kind of fascinating for me to see um people really enjoying themselves and one other thing i i do remember very clearly i remember going on pirates of the caribbean and it, it's clear that the ride ops, uh, the cast members were 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 trained um, in the American way of how to load the vehicles and you know how many in your party and and okay there's a party of three I want you to go to uh, the platform four over there and I remember um, that they completely lost control that the the uh, the Chinese people weren't having any of it they just stormed past the people trying to uh, efficiently load them and just got in any line they wanted and there was just no way to to stop them. I also remember being in line for Pirates and having, um, you know, 75, 80-year-old grandmothers just brazenly walking right in front of me with their grandchildren in, in tow. Um, and it, it just kind of, I, I got a kick out of seeing, you know, the different ways that... Uh, that that uh, different cultures behave and um, trying to fit that into the the Disney mold, I think, presented some some interesting uh, contrast sometimes. So now's the now's the time where I've got to tell what happened uh, with that with that long setup from before. OK, so we were told right when we got to Shanghai that we would not be able to uh, take a picture or get an interview with the. Uh, first person who comes in. So I believe I started my day at the same place, Carly, you were. I think I saw you that morning, said hello, and then started to just feel really nervous that I cannot be standing here. This is not, you know, there was going to be some presentation and a ribbon cutting or something like that. And it was on the other, it was in the middle of the park and not the open, not the front gate. And so I just left. I was like, I got to get out of here. I remember I go, that. 
yeah, I got to go. I got to cover the what's going on in the front. So we go up there and Jeff and I are standing and he's getting more mad and more mad because they're not giving us access. And we noticed that there were journalists like from China and maybe from around the world. I'm not sure where they were from, but they were just disregarding the rules and walking up to people uh, who were on the other side of the fence waiting to come in and they were interviewing them. And no, none of our Disney handlers were stopping them from doing that. So we just decided, screw it. We're going to do that too. So here comes the first guy. And he walks in and I stop him. And there are, suddenly there here are all a bunch of journalists who are now disregarding the rules. And the Disney people are trying to keep us back, but they can't. Jeff is snapping pictures and we get the interview. I asked the guy or someone asked the guy, where are you going to go? And he said, I'm going to Tron. And he took off running and ran to the left, uh, just as Arthur described. And we got the photo. Well, then we've got, we've got to transmit. I've got to write it. So there was a little press area near the main gate. So we rush back to the empty press area and I'm typing furiously to hit a deadline story, get it into the Orange County Register as fast as possible. And Jeff uh, publishes his photo with my story and it starts to go out wide. And here comes the Disney PR people. (laughs) They're like, can we uh, have a talk with you? So I'm finished and I'm like, if they throw me out of the country, it's okay because I got the thing. I got the guy's name. I got the interview. We got the photo. Everything great. And I don't know the name of the woman. But she sat us down and she said, thank you so much. I'm in the background of that photo. And she's leaping <laughs> off the ground with her hands in the air, like triumphantly. And they were so happy that the Disney employee with her name tag is there they didn't care about the guy and the you know who we took the picture of, but her in the background just showed the enthusiasm, and they loved it. <laughs> and so we, you know, we were heroes for a day. Oh That's my! That great. is not the ending I thought that would be. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay, so like very specific question. You know, you're in this kind of high stress clump of people. As because uh, for anyone listening who just like doesn't isn't used to being in a corral of reporters, um, you they really don't want a photo of any crowding. Like you don't want a photo where it looks like things are chaotic and things can be interpreted strangely depending on the way it looks. So I think that's probably part of the reason they didn't want people just en masse at the entrance talking to people coming in. But how right. did you not? I mean, you not only got in position to get a photo and a quote. But how did you speak to someone who I assume lives in China and may not speak the same level of English as you? He knew enough to say his name and say that where he was from. And I don't remember exactly because in in my uh, memory, and I've retold this story many times, that doesn't matter at all. Um, he, He paused like he's underneath the sign that says Mickey Avenue, like right in that spot. And he's he's got a decision to make. Does he go right or does he go toward Tomorrowland 
and left. And he was he he didn't want to talk to us, but he realized I'm the first. And so he kind of reluctantly uh, paused. And that's when Jeff started to snap pictures. And that's when the crowd started to form. And that's when I ran up and uh, we got a moment of him just like there's people in the background, like employees in the background, but he starts to sprint and Jeff gets him like in a moment of I'm on my way into the into the place to go to Tron. And and that picture ran all around the world. I don't know if you guys remember this, Keith. It sounded like you were off on your own mission. You probably didn't even notice this. But Carly, do, do you remember? I, I was surprised how many Westerners were there at the very uh, beginning of the of the crowd that was coming in that first day. I don't know, you know, if they were from the states or from elsewhere in the world, but um, it, that that kind of really surprised me. Yeah, it surprised me too. And I mean, just to contextualize it. It was only five years ago, but it was five years in the past five, 10 years is is a lot. So much has changed. Yeah. And there weren't a lot of resources on how to easily visit China, how to easily get to the resort because it hadn't opened yet to the point where in my in my like pre-planning for all my coverage, because I did a lot of merchandise based stories. So a lot of things about the stores where you can buy certain stuff, the food, kind of those like servicey guides as the park was opening. I couldn't find anything online because there really wasn't a way for me to effectively search the Instagrams of someone in a foreign country with a foreign language. So they're really like, there wasn't a lot of news out. Now, I think if a park opened in Shanghai today, I think we'd all be kind of pulling information from locals who were there. Like we'd know, we'd have a better grasp on what was happening. But I think there were so many Westerners there because... It, there was there was nothing like we knew nothing. I was finding out information from an American who was teaching overseas and had been going to the previews. And so her English language Instagram posts, I was able to get stuff from, but I, I couldn't find anything else. So it was it was really I, and it sounds weird to say it now, but it, it was really like the first burst of news coming out. And if you compare that to something like when the park reopened last year after COVID closures, we all saw the news immediately on Twitter. There were photos, there were videos, it's everywhere. But right. at that time, there was nothing. And so That's for right. like the Westerners to be there, like people like us, we were all kind of relaying the first wave of information to people back. So it was pretty wild that they were there because there was no, you couldn't Google like, what visa do I need for Shanghai Disney? Like, That's oh, right. the, like I can do the quick layover visa. Like there were no sources for that. Like right. you knew nothing. I had to email someone at some random Disney account to be like, how do I get from the middle of the city to the resort? Like what, what do I do? Is there, is there a bus to the airport? Like there was nothing. And so it's pretty interesting that so many of them were able to even get over those obstacles to get there for opening day. Arthur, what are your main takeaways from the visit? Like what memory do you hold dearest? And is there anything that you would love to go back and do if you were to return? Well, clearly, Pirates of the Caribbean, we, we've already talked about. The only place in the world you can experience that is there. And it was just awe-inspiring you know, to, to me. We've talked a little bit about some of the breakthrough technology in there, the, the ability of the, the boats to move in sync with the, with the, um, the, 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 the show experiences. Um, they can move, uh, they, they have a magnetic track system underneath the water and they're able to move sideways and move backwards. The animatronic 
of um, of, of Johnny Depp, you know, changing from a, from a skeleton into a into a pirate. That's pretty astonishing. The sinking and then the rising of of the ship all of it i just i i had seen some videos uh i i you know i I did see some of the spoiler stuff prior to getting out there from from the previews but this is truly one of those cases where no video could ever do that ride any justice um to be there in person and experience those enormous screens I, i was just blown away by that um and then there's little things um I remember going to uh, to a meal at one of the um, one of the um, restaurants there. <clears throat> I should know the name of it, but I but I can't remember. And uh, it was kind of like a like a like a tea garden. Um, uh, and I remember going up and getting the soup, and um, and I love soup. And the soup was filled with all kinds of wonderful vegetables. And then there was this brown oval thing in the middle, which I later found out was an egg that had been boiled in tea, I guess. And, uh, you know, just little things like that. Right. It, it, it's like, you know, being a little kid and conjuring something for the first time. You know, I, I had never seen a, a brown egg before <laughs> and it tasted delicious. I thought the food was was pretty good throughout the park, um, including that, that soup. Um, so, um, you know, obviously Tron, we're going to be able to get that stateside now. So that's kind of lost its, 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 uh, its, uh, special status. But I think more than anything else, I think the, the breadth, the, the expanse of the park, it was just, it, it it's again, something that's very hard to explain, but, um, you know, the, the walkways are so enormous um, there's just so much land there. Obviously, they have all kinds of expansion pads to um, do all kinds of new lands and attractions there. When you take that left um, off of Mickey Ave to head towards Tomorrowland, I don't know if you remember, but in front of Disney Town, um, before you get to Tomorrowland, there's this enormous expanse of land with nothing there. Um, clearly, they could build one, possibly two lands there, um, huge lands. Um, so there's probably going to be all kinds of growth and things happening there in, in the future, I would imagine. I would love to go back and see, you know, whatever future things they have to uh, to offer. How about you, Keith? Any big takeaways Oh, <laughs> besides the story? I'll echo what both of you have said. Um, the expanse of the place, the cleanliness of the place, the how, how nice um, everyone was. What a um, special thing. I, you know, I felt like I made friends in you guys. The, the people were, um, you know, everyone, the, the sense of fun and adventure was uh, something that I will never forget. And from, you know, journalist who's been to little Disneyland, and that's it. Um, this was like an explosion of a dream that was uh, bigger than I imagined it could have been before I set foot in the place. Um, I, you know, I, I remember ordering um, Peking duck pizza at one of the uh, stands there. And I thought it was great. And I also asked, Oh, by the way, do you guys know the most sold food item there? I don't. Do you Arthur? Arthur. I want to say it's turkey legs, but I'm not sure. 
No, I specifically asked about turkey legs. Okay. Corn dogs. Ah, I knew it was something American. No. Yeah, yeah. Really? Oh, yeah, corn dogs. And I, so I will never forget walking up to, like, we. they made uh, the uh, people who created the park available to us. And I said to the food person, is the turkey leg the number one item sold? And they said, oh, no, no, no. Corn dog, and once they said that, I started to look around and thought every single person is carrying a corn dog stick. <laughs> everywhere I went was corn dogs everywhere, and so it, anecdotally it played out. Wow, this was incredible! I am again running out of time. Thanks, guys. Hope to see you again in a park. Let's do Dollywood. Yeah. Good to see you, Keith. Take care. Okay. Good to see Bye. you. Hi, Carly. My name is David. Um, I wanted to call in and just get your opinion. Was it just me or when you were riding Velocicoaster, could you not even like see anything besides the part on the top hat just because the ride vehicle was going so fast? Like I felt when I got off, I was like, I didn't know if I was blind or like felt like I was going through shell shock because the attraction was that fast. I don't know. It was just, it was crazy, you know? David, you are not wrong. Your first ride on Velocicoaster is something else. Remember, I rode it five times within about an hour and a half to two hours. But when I got off the very first time, I felt like I couldn't walk right. Like, (laughs) I think I turned to Brooke once the camera stopped rolling and I was like, I feel like my brain chemistry has changed. Like, I emerged out of that ride a different person than who originally boarded it. But here's the strange thing. Every single ride after that was completely normal. Again, maybe that means my brain chemistry did change, but the first one hit me so hard. And the ones after that were just kind of, I I felt fine. I felt great. There were times when I was very scared because if you stay, I did the front, I did the, the second row, third row, the second row, wherever you were filming. Then I did the back row. Then I did the middle. Then I think I did the back row again. And then I did the front. I bounced around a bunch, but I experienced everything. And in the back, you get, whew, Whoo, so much airtime. And that freaked me out a bit because I was I felt like I was floating out of my seat, which I was not expecting. Uh, but only I only really felt that in the back. And also I was mostly riding on an empty train. So I'm not sure what that ride feels like with a full train. It might feel different. It might have more push because of gravitational pull because of the weight of people on this ride. Why didn't I listen? Why didn't I take AP physics and pay attention? Instead, I was in environmental geoscience like a goofball. Anyway, <laughs> um, yes, you are absolutely right. It was very, very hard to focus on stuff, but I recommend going back, riding it as many times as you can, because once you do kind of adjust to this new type of coaster and like really just just, you know, get your get your bearings, you can enjoy how good this coaster is. I didn't fully grasp it when Shelby was talking about it last week, but all of the natural vegetation, the thing that blows my mind about Velocicoaster is that it looks like Honestly, like a giant came out of the sky and just perfectly plopped it into the park. The way it interacts with its surroundings, the way the track is right by other areas of the park that already exist, the way that it goes through walkways, the way that it goes over the water, the way that it goes through 
like she said, this natural vegetation, all of these plants that have been building up for so, 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 so long, it feels like it's been there forever in a way. And it also simultaneously feels impossible <laughs> that they would have placed it this perfectly. So once you go on it a few more times, you'll be able to experience those different sections and really enjoy them instead of it all being a blur until you are truly above the world, on the top of the world, on that top hat, just looking down like, oh my God, this is a bird's eye view photo. This looks like a bio reconstruct Twitter photo. If you know who that is and you follow them on Twitter, just all of these eagle eye photos, that's what it feels like. So that sticks out in your memory. But once you get used to it, you can really enjoy the Mosasaurus role. You can really enjoy seeing the dinos on the ride. I'm sure you missed them on your first time because I almost did too, except for on the video I posted on my Instagram and on my YouTube, me yelling, dinosaurs. Uh, that's the only reason I clocked them. But really, there's this one point too where you go past this glass wall where other guests in the park can see you. And I didn't notice that. I think my first two or three rides. And then I rode with Craig Williams of the Diz. We did a ride together in the front. And he's like, wave to the people. And it was so wild to actually clock those different moments now that I had been on it a few times and my body had adjusted and questionably changed. Maybe the chemistry changed. I don't know how it works. It was bonkers. And I, I'm glad you loved it. And I would keep riding so it feels more normal so you can truly take it all in. Velocicoaster for life. It's so good. It's so good. Hi, Carly. This is Jen, and I'm calling with something that's been bothering me for like a really long time, and it shouldn't. It's absolute first world problems. But regardless, it has to do with Walt Disney World Resort Hotel. Why don't they have real blankets? I know I'm not the only person who likes to sleep cold, and they basically only give you what I would call luxury tissue paper for your bed covering. Even at like the nice hotels, where are the blankets? Can you make a well-placed phone call and find out for me? Because I am so tired of schlepping my own blanket from home so I can sleep in comfort. Thank you. Let me just say that you are preaching to the choir here because this is something I want to talk about so badly that I almost feel like this call is a plant, but it's not because I could have never thought of something as funny as luxury tissue paper. It is brilliant. You are absolutely correct. And I am on your side. I actually brought this up the other day to Brooke Geiger McDonald, who I mentioned earlier, who I was hanging out with in Florida this week. I brought it up unprompted. And she's like, oh, well, I just use the blankets in the closet. And I'm sorry, but personally, I am not taking my bedding out of a questionable mystery bag. No, thank you. I'm not doing that. It either comes on the bed or I don't want it. And speaking of that, I, I read once years ago that like the top layer of a bed, like that decorative blanket or like thing that lays over the foot of the bed, that that's actually the dirtiest thing in the room. I am sure all of that is very different in COVID times. I don't even know if all hotels are doing that right now, but I always strip that layer off the bed and put it in a pile and immediately wash my hands because I don't trust it either. It feels cursed. It feels haunted. Same with the blanket in a bag that Brooke says she uses. I can't. No, I want it on the bed. I want it to come on the bed. I want it to be like a duvet or a comforter, like a nice luxury hotel. And Walt Disney World hotels do not have the bedding that I so deeply crave. I don't want to go too far off in the deep end about this issue because I'm not kidding. I could do a TED talk on it. But th this is a bit of a hot take. But the 
I would say the, oh, I don't even want to say it out loud. I'm trying to resist it. I'm just going to go for it. I would say the quality of hotel rooms ranging from price ranges. So we're talking from a value to a moderate to a deluxe. Those room interiors at Walt Disney World feel very similar from a low price point to a high price point. I feel like, especially with Walt Disney World, you pull out the individual amenities, you start pulling back on things, you have shampoo and conditioner in the shower in like a pump box that you can't even, you don't even get a little toiletry to bring home anymore, which I know is way but people love it. People love a free souvenir, especially when you're spending this much money in a hotel room. And I'm sorry, but I am not going to pay out of pocket for something like Disney's Polynesian Resort or the Contemporary or something like that when I know I'm just going to be shuffling into bed under a few pieces of, a, of sheet. It's just sheet. It's like a sheet on the bottom and a sheet on the top and like maybe a sheet in the middle that you pull over. I don't even know what that sheet would be called. A top sheet? A fitted sheet? Who knows? It is not enough blanket for me. And that's why I kind of like staying at the Swan and Dolphin a little bit more. I know, I know I'm alienating my audience on this podcast right now as we speak, but I like a full bed when I'm staying at a hotel. Hotel bedding is so nice and it's so clean and it's so wonderful. And I just don't feel like Disney is offering me that full lush hotel bed that I crave when I stay there any longer. I've noticed it. You've noticed it. I'm sure people listening to this have noticed it. Colleen, let me know how you feel about this because I have felt this way for a very, very long time and just haven't really had a platform <laughs> To, to yell about it. But I am right there with you. I'm right there with you. I want a full fun hotel bed and they're not providing it anymore. They're not. They're not. I'm sorry. They're not. And I know I stayed on property at Universal this past week. I stayed at Endless Summer, which is their their lower end. I forget the names of theirs. I feel like it's like Prime, Prime Value Plus, something like that. But I stayed at this is essentially like their competitor to a lower hotel, to a motel, essentially. And this hotel was, by the way, great. There's a Starbucks in the lobby. They have so many amenities. The rooms are gigantic. I was one person. They also have suites. Suites at a hotel tier of that price, unheard of. Anyway, they also have the same blanket sheet, sh blanket situation. <laughs> and every time I go to bed, I'm just dreaming and wishing of a floofy hotel bed. So yeah, I'm right there with you. I don't know what the real reason is. If I had to guess, I'm, I'm sure like a, a, a multitude of cost-based reasons. But yeah, I want, I want more bedding. I want more bedding and I'm right there with you. Thank you for this call. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. That's our show! Thank you all so much for listening. And a very special thank you to Arthur Levine and Keith Sharon for coming on the show. You can find Arthur Levine's Shanghai coverage at USA Today and Trip Savvy. But he's a prolific writer who has contributed to those outlets, to the New York Post, to Fun World. Yeah, he's so good at this. He writes for theme park industry stuff. Seriously, he is my go-to person. I adore Arthur. I ask him any coaster question I have, and he always gives me the best response. I love him so much. He also has a fabulous newsletter you can sign up for at his website, abouttheme-parks.net. And if you want more of Arthur, you can listen to our interview about how he got started in the biz right here on Very Amusing. Back 
back in season one. It's the What Being a Theme Park Reporter is Really Like episode. Be sure to check that out. You can find Keith Sharon's Shanghai Disneyland coverage at Orange County Register or his current work at the Tennessean, where he currently works. Keith is also a very good screenwriter, which like he's so busy writing wonderful newspaper stories. We don't always get to it, but you can check out his films. His ones got made. There's Finding Steve McQueen, which came out a couple years ago and Showtime starring freaking Eddie Murphy and Robert De Niro. Are you kidding me? I am in the presence of greatness. You can also follow them both. Uh, you can follow Arthur on Twitter at About Theme Parks and Keith on Twitter at Keith Sharon T. And as for very amusing, you can rate, review, and follow slash subscribe. I think they're changing the terminology. I don't know what it is right now. To very amusing on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to your pods. Thank you very, very much to our recent the very amusing Apple Podcast reviewers, Holly12, B Dougie4, and Teleclaster, Craig from the Diz. We love Craig. I realized I never reviewed his podcast, so I did that, and then he reviewed mine. It's friendship, you know, friendship on the internet, supporting each other's pods. If you want to be even more amused than you already are, join our Patreon. It's only five bucks a month, and you will get weekly churros Q&A newsletters, weekly mini podcasts. Last week, I, I couldn't really do it because I'm not kidding. I fully lost my voice, so I'll be making up for it later this month. Monthly zines and a bunch of other fun stuff. Whenever, whenever these things open, I'm usually yapping over there about them even more than I am here. If you want to check that out, go to patreon.com slash Carly Wiesel. As always, our phone lines are open at 747churros, and we want to hear your calls. So you have any thoughts, any reviews, any opinions, any feelings about cheese, anything like that, please give us a call or email us a voice note at 747churros at gmail.com. There's also an inbox or there's there. If you get the pan, I think I talked about this last week, but if you get the voicemail panics, I get them too. I totally get it. Just send us a voice note. It's totally fine. It's totally fine. Follow me on social media at Carly Wiesel on Instagram, on Twitter. I'm always online because I can't quit the internet. I love it so much. I never want to let it go. And now that I'm like back, back in the parks, it's, it's fun. There's fun stuff to post. I love it. It's joyous. Oh, it's thrilling. It's real great. It's real, real great to be back. Very Amusing is edited nicely by Jeff Fox. Thanks so much for listening. See you real soon. Hi, honey. Another great week. I loved, loved, loved this week's episode of Very Amusing. I'm not sure how you pronounce the Velo Coaster, Valley Coaster. I don't know. I just know that I would never go on this ride, okay? Never. Do you remember a few years back we went on that kitty roller coaster at Disney World? All the little kids, ages like three to five, they were all doing fine, and I was screaming my brains out on all the turns. They were all laughing at me. I will never go on this ride. Guaranteed. I am dying to know what you think. Let me know. I'm hoping you're okay. Because now you said there are no harness straps, just at the waist. So I can't, re I can't like, unhear that. That's freaking me out. So now I need you to call me in real time to let me know how it was. But it was a great episode, and Shelby did a great job, and she sounded really, really good. She's a foamer. She's part of our family, which makes me love her even more. So you had a great week. Nice to know how that belly coaster ride went. I don't know what it's called, but dying to know how it was. I love you so much. Bye, honey.